Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Start a new series today. Awesome. So excited as you are consuming, not just consuming service, but you're participating in service. I imagine people in their bathrobes um, with mobile phones in front of them watching service today. I also imagine people gathering with other families, hopefully, and, uh, and enjoying service. So we are just, we're rolling with this corona thing, and we're just saying, okay, Lord, what's it look like? So this is what it looks like right now. This is what it looks like next week. We don't know what it looks like in a month from now, but hey, we're here, and the good thing about it is no matter what it looks like, we serve a faithful God, and He's unchanging. He doesn't change. Come on. His standards don't change, and we're going to enter this series today called The God of Promise, and what we're going to be focusing on is the covenants, many of the covenants made in the Old Testament, and many in in the the New Covenant, uh, how they all, all those old covenants actually point to the New Covenant. In fact, all the old covenants point to the man Jesus. And that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking uh, uh, through some of these covenants. But what I want to focus on, the, the, the verse for this series is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. And it says, let us hold tightly. Everybody say tightly. Without wavering. Say wavering. Come on, right there at home, say wavering. To the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promises. So let's just declare this together. Let's repeat this verse together. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promises. One more time. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promises. Amen. God is so good and he is so faithful. He, it, we can hold tightly without wavering because we serve an unwavering God. You know, one of the great things as I began to study uh, for this series, one of the things I've begun to recognize is that one of the greatest gifts that God has given us is his name. Did you know that there is a gift in God's name? In Psalm 138, David got this. He said, I give thanks, O Lord, with all my heart, I will sing praise before the gods. I bow before your holy temples. I worship you. I praise your name. I praise your name. I don't just praise you. I actually praise your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness. There it is again, faithfulness. For your unfailing love and faithfulness. For your promises are backed. Here it is. For your promises are backed by all the authority of your name. So God makes a promise, and then he attaches his name to it. He says, I'm good for it. I'm good for it. My name, oh, here it is. My name is on the line. God puts his name on the line. He doesn't just sign the line. He says, my reputation's at hand. So with his reputation at hand, he says, I am good for the promises. As soon as I pray, you answer me. You encourage me and give me strength. So God's name reveals his nature. And it reveals his character. God's good. He's not a man that he should lie. Right? His, his character is on the line to fulfill what he has promised. God is faithful. And there's two names. I want to focus on two primary names that we see in the Hebrew language. And the first one is the first name that we see. The first verse in 
the scriptures is this. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, Elohim. The name of God, Elohim. Now, Elohim is, is a plural word. It's actually, it doesn't mean just a singular Elohim. It's actually plural. It, it, it means more than one. But it also means one. So what is it? Is it one or three? Yes, it's one what. Three who's. One what, God. Like a marriage. One marriage, two who's. Right? Some people think, right? Some people think it's two different. No, it's one marriage, two who's. And with God, he says, I am Elohim. I am one, but I have three persons. Right? And so the second name that we have primarily in the Hebrew language is the name Yahweh. Everybody say Yahweh. Yahweh. And when we refer to the Father, we're referring to Yahweh. Right? Some would say Jehovah. Jehovah would be kind of the, the English uh, pronunciation. But Yahweh is, is how the Jews pronounce it. And this is the reason why he gives us the name Yahweh is because he needed a name, not just a title of being God, of Elohim, but he needed a name to sign on the contract. Right? I, I was Josh way before I ever signed the deed on my house. Before I ever signed a, a, a mortgage paper, I was already Josh. But when I put my name on it, I said, I'm good for it. So God says, listen, I want you to refer to me as Yahweh. I am, I am God. I am giving you a name so that you can attach the promises to a name. So you can say, say, God, this is who you are. This is who you are. So Yahweh is his covenant name. And, and the reason why he gives us this, not just so we can have a contract, but so that we can know him intimately. Right? It would be kind of like you had a, a teacher in school. Right? I, I think about uh, some, of, some of my favorite teachers. But I didn't know them by their first name. I just knew them by their last name. I think of, in junior high, I had a teacher named Mr. Moore. Coach Moore, we called him, because he was also a coach. I don't know his first name. I probably did at one time. Mr. Moore. But how many of you know when you're on a first name basis, it's a little bit different. I don't just have a title. Hey, coach. It's like, I know you. Like, when I see you out in public, I know you. Like, and God has given us this relationship where he says, you know what? Let's get the formalities off the table. It doesn't mean that we lose respect for God. It just, it just say, well, you know, we're going we're gonna to lose the formalities and we're going to be intimate. We're going to be close. And, it's, and so when he gives us this name to call, call him by, he's saying, I want you to be intensely personal with me. Intensely personal with me. So he's telling us by giving the name Yahweh uh, to make sure that we know that he is personal. He's saying, I'm not just the creator. I'm not just the lawgiver. I am a personal promise keeper. So he is not just a creator and lawgiver. He is a personal promise keeper. And, and some people think, well, man, all you Christians ever think about is, you know, all you charismatic Christians, all you ever think about is the promises of God, the promises of God. But that's part of his nature. His, part of his nature is he is the God of promise. He's given us a name so he can say, I am a God of promise. I'm good for it. I'll put my name on it. He is the God of promise. He's a personal promise keeper. He's not an absentee creator and lawgiver. It says, here's the list. Go ahead and do it. I'll see you at the end of the age. No, he says, I want to be in on this thing with you. We're in covenant. We are in relationship. So I want to talk about today, in the beginning, God promised. In the beginning, God promised. And today we're talking about the Adamic covenant, right? Based on Adam. Now, some 
theologians use the Edemic covenant. Some of them do not as far as like talking about the covenants, but we're going to. And there's really two parts of the Edemic covenant. And first is this, is that Edenic covenant, right? There was a covenant that was given in the Garden of Eden. Now, we know the story. They get kicked out of the garden, right? And so then there's a, a renewal of that. But the first part of the covenant to Adam that we can draw from is this, is, is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. He Remember where he talks about how he, he, he breathed life in them. He made them male and female. He created them. Then God, Elohim, blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. So he's saying, here is the mandate. Here I am. So in this promise, we see several things. First of all, we see that we're designed. Right? You, you aren't, you aren't, you aren't bl a blob of tissue. Right? You're not stardust. Maybe you are stardust, but that's pretty good if God wanted to create you out of stardust. But, we, but you, aren't, you not, are not just dust. You were actually created in the image of God. This is what separates you from your pet that you so dearly love. This is the reason why you value your children more than you do your dog. I, it was Mother's Day, and I was shopping at Target, and I saw that they had a card for dog moms. There's a market for that. Dog moms. Awesome. Okay. I was like, okay, that's interesting. But no, 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 humans are designed in the image of God, and we carry the breath of God. He breathed on us. I mean, the scriptures say that we became a living being. The second thing is we have divine blessing. Before there's a mandate, there's a blessing. Can I suggest this to you, that the blessing is the mandate? That the blessing is the mandate. You see, we're called from a place of blessing. We, we, we kind of have this idea, once I perform enough, then I'll get the blessing. God's like, I'm blessing you, now you can perform right? We have already have all these riches in Christ Jesus. We already have all that we need in Christ. All that we need is in Christ. We're already blessed. And so God blesses them, and then he says, and let me suggest this to you. If you have a calling, which you do, whatever God has called you to, that is a blessing. It's a blessing for you to be called. It's a blessing to say, God looked at me and thought I was fit for this. And most of the time, we look at it just like Moses is like, I can't do that. And he's like, certainly you can. You have my blessing. I wouldn't have asked you to do it if you couldn't do it. The difficulty is relying on him and, and living from that blessing to accomplish it. So we're designed. We have a divine blessing. This is the Edenic covenant. Third is dominion. I give you dominion over the earth. How does he do that? Through reproduction. Right? How is the new covenant? Jesus told us, go and make disciples. What is that? It's spiritual reproduction. So dominion is part of this covenant that God has given us. Expanding that dominion, expanding the blessing that we're in. But there's also a disclaimer. There's a disclaimer. And every covenant, listen, every covenant has a disclaimer. The new covenant is, like all the covenants, it involves a thing called faith. Jesus is the disclaimer of the new covenant. Oh, come on. Asterisk at the bottom says, Jesus took care of it all. <laughs> Trust him, right? That's the that's the disclaimer on the new covenant. And this is this 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 was the disclaimer. We're we're very aware. Genesis two. The Lord God. The Lord Yahweh. When you see the word Lord in the Hebrew, Yahweh, God. 
the covenant-keeping creator. Are you tracking? Yahweh Elohim placed man in the Garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it. But the Lord warned him. God warned him. Elohim warned him. You may eat from every fruit of every tree in the garden except. This is the disclaimer. The one disclaimer. I give you everything. All of it, you can have it. You're going to rule over it. No wild animal's going to eat you. You're in charge. You, you've got this. Whoa, how overwhelming. He's like, there's just one thing. Just one thing I don't want you to do. I don't want you to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you will die. So this is this, the disclaimer. One thing. In the new covenant, I would say the one thing is this. Trust Jesus. <laughs> Come on. That's the disclaimer. When, when I read this, when I, when I see what God has commanded, I, I think even in the perfect scenario, sin entered the world. And the way that we treat our lives, how do we treat our lives? We look at our lives and we go, well, if this scenario was different, I would perform better. If this scenario was different, I would be more faithful to God. If I made more money, I would be more generous. Right? If my kids weren't misbehaved, I wouldn't yell at them. If my husband wasn't that way, I'd be faithful to him. Come on. If my husband would be more behaved, we would, yes. That. <laughs> Just the one thing. And we, we think... In perfect scenarios, we'll be perfectly behaved. It's just the one thing. What is the one thing? What is the one thing that God told you to stop doing that and you just continue doing it? See, evil enters the scene when we forget. When we forget what we were created to be, when we our design, when we forget our directive, that my directive is to be fruitful and multiply, to be fruitful, and then I'll multiply. We forget that, that God has a disclaimer, and we disobey it. This is when sin enters the scene, and they chose the one thing that God had forbidden. We see this in Genesis chapter 3. We're not going to read all the text today. You can go there and, and look this week, but the enemy shows up as a serpent, and he says this, did God really say, just like the devil? Always questioning, did God really say? Did God really say you're a child of God? Did God really say you shouldn't do that? Did God really create you for that? Are you really in the image of God? Did God really say? Did God really say you, you won't die? Surely you won't die. And they didn't die immediately, but they did die eventually. And they would have never tasted death. And, and I would suggest this. He was like, God's just afraid you'll be like him. They were already like God. They already knew the difference between good and evil. Everything was good. There was one thing that was evil. And here he was tempting him saying, eat the evil. Just do the one thing. Did God really say? He just doesn't want you to be like him. They were already like God. They already knew the difference between good and evil. What they were doing in this moment is they were taking authority to do what was good in their own eyes. They were saying, "What if I eat from this tree, I'll be able to decide what good and evil is. 
I will be the decider of my own destiny. In this, they were saying, you know what? I can be independent. If I will just eat from this tree, come on, I will be independent. And listen, this all sin starts with that. I can do what I want. I can be independent. I can be independent. And so I'm going to do, and listen, that is that rebellion in you. It's in me. You're going to tell me what to do. I'll do what I want to do. I do what I want. Right? See, it's strong in my own life. See, life is not found in being independent to choose for ourselves what is right and wrong. Life is found within the context of living out our divine nature. That's where life is found. Life is found whenever we live in accordance to God's word in the way that God created me to in, it intended me to live. When I live in that, I find life. I eat from the tree of life. Why would I want to decide and be independent on my own when I when I can receive the life that God has given, rather than looking elsewhere for it? Again, they didn't die immediately, but they started dying. But the greater thing that they started experiencing is separation from God. This is what they started experiencing, and this is why they died. This is why they died. Genesis 3, verse 7. At that moment, they eat the fruit, right? The avocado. We always have an apple, right? They eat the, the avocado. Right? It's probably a golden avocado. I don't, I don't know. We don't know. We just don't know. But I, I think, I think. Apples, eh, avocados, better. They weren't eating like dragon fruit or something. Okay, I don't know what they're eating. So it says this, Genesis 3, verse 7, at that moment. So immediately they take the fruit at that moment. It wasn't like three weeks later. It was at the moment. Now, sometimes we sin and we don't see the consequences at the moment. Unless your heart is sensitive to God. Then you always feel at the moment. You're like, oh, Holy Spirit. And we don't rebuke that. We go, oh, I need to, I need to deal with this. So at that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly, right then, at that moment, felt shame at their nakedness. They were like, oh, my gosh, I'm naked. I need to cover up. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Who were they hiding from? They were hiding from each other. Did you know we, when we sin against others, it causes us to want to hide ourselves from them? That's why you can't look them in the eye. That's why you won't let them look at your cell phone, your spouse. You got something to hide. It's because sin has happened. When the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord. Yahweh. They heard Yahweh, Elohim, walking about in the garden. So they hid. So they they hid from the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, among the trees. Then the Lord God called the man, where are you? Like he didn't know. Where are you? Right? It's like me playing hide and go seek with my kids. I know exactly where they're at. Where are you? Do you know where you're at? He replied, I, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. I was afraid because I was naked. And I was afraid that you would see me naked. I'm afraid that you would see my state. I was afraid that you would see me for who I am, a sinner. 
I thought they covered themselves. Well, apparently that covering didn't last very long. Maybe they didn't have a chance to sew another fig leaf together that only lasted a couple of hours. So God shows up. And then we see kind of the second part of the, of the Adamic covenant. We see the Edenic covenant and then now the Adamic covenant. They were ashamed. They were naked. They were covering themselves. And then guess what happens? God shows up. This is what he does. When we blow it, God shows up. And he doesn't show up. He doesn't show up with a spanking spoon. He shows up with paper and pen to say, I'm here to establish a covenant. I'm here to write the covenant. I'm here to rewrite it. See, just when we think that, that we have ruined everything, God shows up with an arrangement. He doesn't just show up going, listen, this is the problem. He does some of that. We'll talk about it. But he shows up with a paper and pen and says, where do we need to sign this new deal? I'm here to reestablish some things in you, Adam. I'm not just here to rebuke you. There's a rebuke coming, but I'm not just here for that. I'm here to reestablish some things. And this is what he reestablishes. I will cause hostility between you and the woman. Now, this is, he's speaking to the snake. This is where he goes immediately. Boom. You sucker. Blood-sucking snake, right? You serpent. I will cause hostility, enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike, listen, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. In this moment, God prophesies to the serpent. God prophesies to the devil. And he said, from her, I'm going to produce an offspring that will crush your head. Yeah, you'll snap his heel. You, you'll cause a little blow, but it won't be deadly. But the blow that he brings will triumph over you completely. So when God establishes this covenant, first of all, what he does is he punishes the enemy. Why does he crush his head? Because head is headship. Head is where headship comes from. Head is where the authority comes from. So he's saying, listen, I am going to rob you of your authority. You came into the garden. Man had the authority. He gave it to you. Guess what? From her seed, I will crush your authority. You will have no authority. Now listen, it was painful for Jesus. What Jesus went through was painful, but it was just a striking of the heel. And as that heel began to dig in, to the skull of that serpent, the devil. As that foot began to sink in on Calvary that day, that head was crushed. And that headship and that authority was crushed. It was crushed over your life. It was crushed over my life. He says, you have no authority because of the cross. The Son of Man, 1 John 3, 8, for the Son of Man came to destroy the works of of the devil to destroy the works of the devil. That word in the Greek is saluo. Saluo. I'm so good with Greek. That means to loosen or undo the devil's work. So what he did in the garden, Jesus undone in another garden. What he did in the garden to deceive, Jesus at the garden before the Father saying, not my will but yours be done, made the decision to say, I'll go to Calvary and I'll crush his head. I'll crush it. So Jesus punishes the enemy. 
This is all the, the Edemic covenant. Many, many call it this, the proto-gospel. It's the gospel before the gospel. It all starts with Jesus. It all starts with Jesus. And the enemy's authority all ends with Jesus. The second thing that we get is we get a promised redeemer. Not just a promised redemption. We actually get a promised redeemer. Just like with Yahweh. We got a father. But in Jesus, we don't just get redemption. We get a redeemer. How many know if you get the redeemer, you get the redemption? And some people just want the redemption, but they don't want the redeemer. But he's saying, listen, I am coming. I am going to redeem you. Someone who would reinstate. Someone who would redeem our original position and mandate. And this is what Jesus did. And this is why when he gives us that great command, he says, go and take over the earth. Make disciples. What is he doing? He's renewing. He's got paper in hand. He's got pen in hand. He's like, this is what's going to happen. This is your end of the deal. It's not an obligation. It's a blessing. The proto-gospel. The third thing that he does is he provides a covering. He provides a covering. So here's Adam and Eve walking around naked, ashamed between each other, ashamed before God with their fig leaves sewn together. That lasts about, I don't know, a couple hours. Then they dry up and fall off. Well, we're naked again. Let's sew another one. Can you imagine? Some of you, you've been living your life like that. You've been going around, I just cover it up today. Tomorrow, I'll cover it up a little bit. I'll try to cover it up tomorrow, but, but nothing really deals with the shame that I feel. So God says, you know what I'll do? I'll deal with the covering. I'll cover their shame. And this is what it says in Genesis 3.21. It says, Yahweh Elohim, the covenant-keeping God, the God of promise made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. He sacrificed. Come on, there's so much Jesus in this story. He sacrificed. He made a blood sacrifice. He made a blood sacrifice to cover their shame. It makes clothing out of animal skins for them. He didn't ask them to do it. He said, I'll do it. They could have probably figured that out. But God said, I've got this. I will do it. I will do the sacrificing. I will do the sacrificing to cover your shame. So you, you, you've been convinced that you've got to do the sacrificing to cover your shame. God's already taken care of the sacrifice. Yahweh has already taken care of the sacrifice. And this brings security. This brings a permanent, come on, a permanent covering. Not, a, not something that's going to go away in a couple hours, a couple days, or a couple of weeks. It's a, covenant, a covering in that covenant that will last forever. That word covenant that we're going to use many times during this series, barit, in the Hebrew language, means this, an agreement made by the passing between flesh. A covenant made through sacrifice. We'll get into this a little bit more. I want to read Romans 5, verse 16. The result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we're guilty of many sins. For the sins of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will triumph, will be skull crushers of the enemy. 
over sin and death through this one man, Jesus. So one man screwed it up for all, but the other man, the second Adam came. And he brought victory. He brought triumph. He brought victory. He brought grace to all of us. Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness, just one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed, many became sinners. But because another person obeyed, many will become righteous. You're not a sinner anymore because of what Jesus did. Don't let anybody convince you that you're a sinner. Well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Yeah, don't forget that saved by grace part. You were a sinner, but God rescued you. He renewed the contract. He said, you're not a sinner anymore. You're a son. Come on in. Take my righteousness upon you. So in the midst of our mistakes, in the midst of our mess, Yahweh shows up. with ink and paper, seeking to save the lost. And let me suggest this to you today. He is the God of the next chance. And I don't say second chance because you'll need more than two. He's the God of the next chance. Because tomorrow he's going to give you another chance. Because his covenant remains. He is the God of the next chance. You'll need more than another. The second is this, is Yahweh points to the solution. I know, Adam, I know, I know you sinned. I, I know you screwed up. Where are you? I, I'm here to find you because I have something new to sign. I have an agreement to make with you. He points to the solution. And the solution is Jesus. See, God is not showing up pointing to the problem, but pointing to his promise, pointing to his provision. He is pointing to Jesus. And this is exactly what Yahweh does in that moment. He shows up and he goes, listen, devil, you're done. You're going to crawl. You're going to eat dust for the rest of your life. You'll crawl on your belly. And one who is coming, a redeemer will come from this woman. He will come, and he's going to crush your head. Yeah, you'll strike him, but your head will be crushed. The Redeemer is here. This is what he does. God always points to the promise. And the third thing that he does is he removes shame. He removes shame. He covers. He doesn't just cover it. He actually removes it. You, you do a pretty good job of covering it sometimes. Sometimes it's better than a couple of days. Some of you have been covering things for years. Maybe you think you, it's not a permanent covering because eventually it will be revealed. Your sin will find you out. But if you'll submit to the precious blood of Jesus Christ, if you'll submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ, he will lead you into life. And he will get rid of all that shame and you won't have to live with regret anymore. You won't have to live with regret anymore. You won't ever have to say, you know what? I made a lot of foolish things that I've done. I regret. You know what? That will not be the focal point of your life. The focal point of your life is you will point just like God did. You'll point to the provision. 
You point to the covering. God removes the shame. David says, Psalm 34, 5, those who look to him are radiant. See, looking at your sin will always make you want to hide. Looking at your nakedness will always make you want to hide. Looking in the mirror will always make you want to hide. Completely vulnerable, naked in the mirror will cause you to want to hide. But God says, I'll cover you up. I won't just cover you up. I'll remove the shame. Those who look to him, if you will look to me, you'll be radiant. Your faces will never be covered.